good morning. I hope everybody's doing well. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online or maybe from one of our campuses this morning. Maybe you are in Somerville or West Ashley or Johns Island. Grateful we can all be one family, even though we are in different places. My name is Adam Martin. I'm part of the team here at the church. And today we are kicking off a brand new series on relationships. Whoa, 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 whoa. Settle down. Just try to contain your excitement, okay? I actually anticipated that kind of response, which is also why we're doing the series. <laughs> this may be the shortest series we do, but we're going to do it. Because we all want great relationships, but if we're honest, they often fall short of what we were hoping for. It reminds me of a story about a woman who woke up one Valentine's Day morning having had a dream, and she went in and told her husband, I had the craziest dream last night. You'll never believe it. He said, really? What was that about? She said, I dreamt that you gave me a really expensive diamond necklace. Isn't that crazy? I mean, what do you think that means? And her husband just smiled back at her and said, well, I guess you'll just have to wait till tonight to find out. Well, that set her mind racing all day long. That's all she could think about. Those words, that smile, the day just wouldn't go by fast enough. But finally, she made it to the end of her day and she left her office. And as she was leaving, she drove home, excited about what was going to happen. She had dinner with her husband. They had a great dinner together. And then she, she le he left the room, walked out of the room to get a small box, came back with a, a gift-wrapped box in his hand and just smiled at her, that same goofy grin that he had in the morning. She just couldn't contain her excitement. She grabbed the box, tore the wrapping paper off of it. In her hand, she held the box. She looked back at her husband. He looked at her. She lifted the lid on the box and peered inside and saw a small book that said, The Meaning of Dreams. <laughs> it's just a hint, fellas. It's Valentine's Day soon. Don't mess it up. We all want great relationships with our friends, with our families, the people we're dating, the people we're married to. That should not be the same people, by the way. You can only have one of those. But so often they never become what we were hoping they would become. In fact, we asked you guys last week over social media, what causes relationships to be strained or even fail at times? And here's what you had to say. A lack of honesty, a lack of transparency, Lack of vulnerability, a lack of forgiveness or mercy, grace, anger and jealousy, those threaten our relationships. The most common response was poor communication. And one of you actually said, I wouldn't know, never had a relationship fail. Don't worry, we reported that guy for fake news. <laughs> That's not true. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible actually has a lot to say about relationships. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we read things like this out of Proverbs. A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. And in the New Testament, we see the words of Jesus, where he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life his life for one's friends. In fact, 
you could easily make the argument that the Bible is always talking about relationships, whether it's our vertical relationship with God or our horizontal relationship with each other. It's always talking about relationships. So if there's all this talk about relationships in Scripture, if there's all this guidance available to us, then why do our relationships so often fall short of what we want? And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to use three ideas as our framework. One, why our relationships don't work. Two, how our relationships were meant to work. And three, what we can do to make our relationships work better. That's our outline for today. So that first point to consider why our relationships don't work. And let me, let me begin to answer this, this idea, this question with a quick story. About 10 years ago, when our children were much younger, we decided to take a long weekend trip to Atlanta. We wanted to take in all the tourist stuff. You know, we wanted to go see the aquarium, we wanted to go see the Coke Museum and Martin Luther King Park and Centennial Park and the Cheesecake Factory. You know, all the tourist stuff. That's what we wanted to do. So we did. We drove to Atlanta to take it all in for the weekend. And I remember the last night we last the last night we were there, we'd had like a long day seeing a ton of different things. It was a fun day, but we were kind of tired. So we're walking back to our car and it was cold. And so we're walking quickly, you know, trying to get there soon. And we're in the garage. And as we're getting closer, I can tell everybody's eager to get warm. So I use my fob and open up the car and everybody jumps in. And I go to start the car and nothing, no response. And I'm like, oh gosh, it's not good. So I try again, push the button, nothing. We all look at each other and have that same collective sigh like, oh, this is the worst time for the car to not work. We're cold. We're tired. We're in another city. As we sit there, we're looking around the car and we start seeing things we don't recognize. We realize we're in the wrong car. We all jumped in the wrong car. And so we jump out. We step away. It's the same color. It's the same make. It's the same model, but it's not our car. I look down the row. Our car is two cars over. So we jump in that one and it starts and we drive away just fine. If it was any of you who had your car broken into 10 years ago in Atlanta, I'm sorry about it. I tried to put everything back where we found it. We got in the car expecting it to do something and it didn't. We expected it to respond to us, and it wouldn't. And the problem wasn't the car. It was our expectations of the car. And that's why most of our relationships don't work the way that we want them to. We expect something from them that they aren't capable of giving us. From our relationships, we often expect our deepest needs to be met in another person. Even though those needs were never designed to be met in another person. It's not that the person could meet those needs and callously chooses not to. It's that they aren't capable of meeting those deep needs within us. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about, you know, there are plenty of ways that we can serve one another, help one another, encourage one another. That's not what I'm talking about. We can do those things we should do those things. What I'm talking about here are the deeper needs within all of us to know that we have value and worth and significance as a person. Those deeper needs within all of us to know that we are safe and secure. We expect one another to be our source 
of value and worth and significance and security. And that's when we place a kind of pressure on the relationship that it simply cannot bear. And that's when we become frustrated that the other person isn't meeting our needs. And they become frustrated, feeling like no matter what they do, it's never good enough. Anybody ever experienced one of those sides of that coin? All of us. So these deeper needs that we all have, they were never designed to be met in another person. And honestly, thank God for that. Thank God for that. Because we know we're inconsistent, imperfect people. And if we would... If we were trying to have our deepest needs met in relationship with one another, we would end up being very frustrated and very insecure because there might be a moment here or there when we do a decent job, but there'd be so many more when we don't. So that would leave us feeling frustrated and insecure about who we are. So it's critical that we find our value and our worth from a more consistent source. And let me, let me just adjust our focus here for a second. The reason our relationships, they, that the reason they don't work in a word, it's expectations. But in another more accurate, more specific, maybe even more offensive word, it's idolatry. And I know that some of you, you might have a strong reaction to that. You're thinking, where on earth is he going? Because our context for idolatry, it's, it's little carved statues and things that we sacrifice on, on altars. That's not what I'm talking about. Because true idolatry is far more subtle than that. And it's something that we all struggle with. Tim Keller would tell us that an idol is something that we look to for things that only God can give. And if we look to some created thing to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness... That only God himself can give. It will eventually fail to deliver. And break our hearts. Augustine reminds us that idolatry is simply love in the wrong order. He calls it disordered love. Where we begin to love a created thing. More than the creator himself. C.S. Lewis has a lot to say about this. But to paraphrase his thoughts. He says, what Satan put into the minds of Adam and Eve was the idea that they could be like God, that they could be their own masters, that they could define themselves and invent some sort of happiness apart from God. And here is why that will never work. God created man just as man created an engine. And just as a car was made to run on fuel, it will not properly run on anything else. In fact, put anything else into the engine and you will eventually destroy it. Similarly, God designed the human machine to run on himself. God himself is to be the source of fuel and fire that our hearts and minds were meant to feed on. And despite all our searching, we shall never find another source. So here's the bottom line. No person, not even the best person, can give your soul all that it needs. And this is why our relationships often don't work. 
very subtly, our relationships and what we want from them can become a kind of idol in our lives, causing us to elevate our expectations to a point that the relationship itself buckles under the pressure. We find ourselves frustrated that they haven't satisfied us. But what we have to remember is this. Whenever God is removed from the center of our lives, we can never truly be satisfied. Whenever God is removed from the center of our lives, for whatever reason, whatever relationship, we can never be truly satisfied. Jackie Hill Perry says it like this. We need him. Not just for salvation, but also for satisfaction. But we create idols in our lives to function as a kind of savior, a manufactured Messiah made to fill the empty parts within. But these made things, they didn't make you and they can never make you whole. So if that's why our relationships don't work, then how are our relationships meant to work? And to begin answering that question, we could look to a lot of different places in Scripture, but I thought it would be most helpful to just go back to the beginning, because in Genesis, we see some of the very first relationships, and they reveal some interesting things to help us understand how our relationships were meant to work. Most of you are familiar with the first chapter of Genesis, where God creates everything that we get to enjoy in this physical world. For 25 verses, we get a play-by-play picture of how he did it. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be sky, and there was sky. And then God said, let there be land, and let there be seas, and let there be living creatures. And the pattern continues like this. God said, let there be, and it was. Until verse 26, when that pattern is interrupted. And we read, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. This time, instead of simply saying, let there be, God said, let us make. And it's a very important distinction. Because it's the first time that God identifies himself as part of a community. And it shows us how relationships were meant to work. So if you've been tuned out up until now, here's your moment to lean in and listen, because I don't want you to miss this. God said, let us make, showing us that it was from relationship that God created relationship. From within his own relationship in the Trinity, God established relationship with us. And it's from our relationship with God that we were meant to build and establish healthy relationships with one another. You see, unless God is at the center, we will begin to look to each other to satisfy the deep needs in our soul that only he can satisfy. But when God is at the center, Then we're free to love each other from the abundance he has given to us. God created relationship 
from relationship, and we were meant to do the same. There's another verse here, though, that gives us context for how relationships were meant to work. After creating mankind, God said to them, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. After creating mankind and establishing the first relationship, God then said, I give. And the first relationship outside of heaven, the foundation of it, was laid through giving. It was built upon a desire to give versus an expectation to receive. And unfortunately, this is just not how people approach relationships very often. Most of us, we approach relationship how, after already having done the mental math to calculate what we can gain from it. If there's enough upside potential, we're in. But if there's not, we move on something else. I realize this might not be a popular thing to say, but a lot of couples enter relationship this way. They even enter marriages this way. In their minds, they're thinking, I love you. I think we're great together. We make a great team. You make me better. All things that we've probably thought, maybe even said. But here's the part that we don't say. And I think we would both do a great job of loving me. <laughs> Buried, uh, like it or not, here's the reality. We pursue relationships very often out of selfishness because buried deep within our subconscious, it isn't that we just want to love the other person. It's that we want the other person to love us. I know this because I do a lot of counseling where it is my job to help people see things about themselves that they did not mean to show me. And when they see these things, they're often surprised and I have to reassure them, don't worry, you're not the only selfish person in the room. But unfortunately, this is how many of our relationships work. It's just not how they were made to work. From Genesis 1, we can see there's a better foundation for relationships. First, we must build relationship from relationship. Because when he is satisfying the deepest needs within us, it will protect us from seeking to have those needs met by a person who can't meet them. And secondly, it will empower us to approach each other with a desire to give versus a demand to receive. And there's something else here that's important for us to notice. I don't want you to miss this connection. Several hundred years later, after this, God would repeat this pattern again. In order to reestablish relationship with us, God would give something on a cross outside Jerusalem. In the person of Jesus, God gave something, or rather someone, to demonstrate how much he loves us. Paul reminds us of it in Romans 5. He says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again, 
Here is the template. Here is the picture for great relationships. First John 4 reminds us we love because he first loved us. What God demonstrated in his sacrifice was a willingness to put our needs first. And that's the difference. Because self-centeredness will always say me first. But love will always say you first. And on the cross, God put you first. So that our relationship with him could be restored. If you want to know how relationships were meant to work, this is it. This is your picture. So if we know how our relationships, if we know why they don't work, and we know how they were meant to work, then what can we do to make our relationships work better? I'm going to answer this one for us as practically as possible, because I want to just give you a few simple ideas of what we can do to put ourselves on a better path towards great relationships. And these apply in all arenas. You need to know that. Friendships families, dating relationships, our marriages, all of them. The first thing we can do to make our relationships better is this. We can learn to go to God first. Go to God first. We don't have to go much further in the book of Genesis to see this playing out. In chapter 25, we meet Jacob and Esau, the twin sons of Isaac. And when they were born, Esau came first with Jacob right behind, grabbing at his heel. Now, if we saw that today, if we saw two twin babies doing that today, we would think it was cute. We'd make a meme out of it, right? That's not how this would have been understood in ancient Hebrew culture. Because a heel grabber was a common expression for someone who was a deceiver, someone who was a dishonest person. And unfortunately, throughout Jacob's life, he lived up to the name. Years later, he manipulated his older brother, Esau, into giving him the eldest son's birthright. And after that, he deceived his father to get a blessing right before he passed away. And after that, he sought to prop up his own sense of self-worth by finding a wife. When she wasn't enough, he sought to find another wife. You see, like many of us, Jacob spent his life battling against feeling small, feeling insignificant, feeling less than. And rather than look for his sense of self-worth and value from God, he looked for it from his relationships. If I could only have what my brother has, if I could only be who my father wants me to be, if I could only have that wife, not this one. It wasn't necessarily that Jacob wanted or was looking for the wrong things. It's that he was looking for right things in the wrong places. We all want to know. We all need to know that we have value and worth as a person. But when we look to our relationships to satisfy that need, that's when we crush them under a pressure, under a weight they were never meant to bear. Years later, Jacob would find himself squaring off against his older brother Esau. As Jacob worried about this, he was very concerned about this because he knew just how much he had deceived, just how much he had taken advantage of his brother Esau. He was fully expecting that his brother would come and make war against him. So he prepared the best he could to protect his family. Then he waited. 
And as he sat there, alone in the stillness of that night, God showed up. And the text tells us that God, in the form of a man, wrestled with Jacob all night. It's hard to know what that looks like because the whole thing takes place over only two and a half verses, which tells us that the wrestling wasn't nearly as important as the result. Because as they wrestled, Jacob demanded that the man bless him. Here he was again, doing what he had always done, desperately looking for validation. Only this time, without even knowing it, he was finally looking in the right place. Because towards morning, we're told that the man touched Jacob's hip and dislocated it. And as he did, the man changed Jacob's name to Israel, which is how we know that the man was God. Because in ancient Hebrew culture, only your father could give you your name. You need to hear that because the same is true for you. Only your heavenly father can tell you who you truly are. You look for that anywhere else and you will continue to feel insecure about your identity, which will cause you to look for it in your relationships. Had Jacob gone to God first for his sense of worth and value, his relationships with his father, his brother, his wife, it would have looked very different. But notice that this only came into focus for Jacob after he was literally broken. The Hebrew phrase here is that his hip was wrenched from its socket. Now, for most of us, brokenness is something we try to avoid. We don't like it. We we stay away from it at all costs. But what we learn here is that when God is involved, Brokenness and healing often go together. So I want to encourage you here. Don't be afraid of those seasons in your life when God allows you to be broken. Because he might just be teaching you to come to him first. So we have to learn to go to God first. And then we have to learn how to own our part. We've got to learn how to own our part because one of the best things we can do in relationships to put them on a better path is to own our part and ask forgiveness for the current status of the relationship. Go to the person and own the fact that you've been looking for something from them that you were only meant to find in God. Own the fact that how how that has probably forced you into a posture where you have been Or you've demanded more than you've been willing to give. So we have to own our part. Now the next thing we can do is we can stop using our words in relationship. I know that as toddlers we were all taught to use our words. Instead of throwing a tantrum. We aren't toddlers anymore and I'm telling you it might be time to stop using your words. Because we've all got plenty of words. But the majority of communication that we receive, that we absorb, it's nonverbal. We interpret it through actions and tone and body language and behaviors. When your words are no longer aligning with your behaviors, guess what? 
Nobody's listening to your words anymore. Tell someone all you want, how much you love them. They're not going to believe you until you're able to show them. So stop using your words and commit to the behaviors that actually demonstrate love and commitment. When we love each other, we need to learn how to say that without using any words at all. I remember a few months ago, I was coming home from the church. We had a board of trustees meeting here, so it was a long day and a late night for me. And Dana has been the last few months in the midst of a massive project for one of her clients. And so I knew that neither of us were going to want to make dinner. So I picked up something on the way home and drove home. When I got there, she was still upstairs hammering away on this project. And I could have, I was starving. So I could have just like eaten in the kitchen and put hers in the fridge for whenever she was ready. But I decided to take our food upstairs. I sat down in the chair next to her in the office. We prayed and we started eating and she was still focused on her work because she was on a deadline. As I sat there, I thought, should I be upset about this? I mean, we haven't really seen each other all day. We've talked a couple of times, but we haven't connected. And this is an opportunity we could connect. I realized that as I thought about it, I wasn't upset. Because I just didn't need anything from Dana in that moment. It's, it's not that I don't need affirmation as a person. Don't get me wrong. I'm not that secure. It's just that Dana was never meant to be the primary source of affirmation in my life. And that allowed me to simply be proud of how hard she was working and grateful to sit beside her for a few minutes, even if it was just over a couple of burritos. I wanted Dana to know that I could be sitting anywhere in the house. But where I wanted to be was right there next to her. Because I want Dana to know, without any words at all, that I love her. I never want her to question that. And before you think, oh, that's so great. He deserves husband of the year. Like, <laughs> just know, we've been married for 28 years. There have been plenty of times when I've gotten this wrong. But there's a microphone on my face, and this is being recorded, so I'm giving you the highlight reel, all right? The point is, stop using your words. Learn the behaviors that communicate love. And the last thing that we can do to help improve our relationships is this. We can worship. I realize this one might sound a bit out of place, so just walk with me for a second. Because I don't know if you know this, but worship is the antidote to idolatry in our lives. You see, if ever our relationships or our relational needs or anything else becomes an idol to us, worship helps reset those priorities. Because as we worship, we lift up the name of God. And as we elevate him, everything else is lowered into its proper place in our lives. So consistency and worshiping together in a service like this is important if we want to have better relationships with one another. So we go to God first. 
we own our part, we stop using our words, and we worship together. Listen, all of us want to have great, healthy, meaningful relationships. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we were made for that. But there's an important order for those relationships. And there's one that is far more important than all the others. And if that relationship suffers, all of the others will begin to suffer as well. Because listen to me here. This is the last thing I'm going to say to you, and I want you to remember it. Before love is something we can do, love has to be someone we have met. Before love is something we can do, love has to be someone we have met. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you make yourself so available to us. That you pursued us long before we pursued you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would reorder our lives in such a way that you would always and forever be first. And from that, everything else would fall into its proper place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For the next few minutes, I want to give you an opportunity to just respond to God using a couple of questions. God, what are you saying to me through this service, through this message, and, and what do you want me to do with that? For some of you, maybe you're realizing that there is a relationship in your life that has taken priority over your relationship with God. There's no shame in that. It happens to all of us. But maybe today is the day to begin reprioritizing. If that's you, I'd invite you to go to a cross this morning. Write down the relationship that is coming to mind. Pin it to the cross as your way of saying, God, I'm leaving this here with you because I want my relationship with you to come first. And if you're joining us online and you feel comfortable, write that just in the chat so that we can pray for you. But to let today be the day that you begin to reorder your relationships so that God comes first. For others, you may be thinking about a relationship that you have been looking to or have looked to for your sense of worth and value and how that has strained it, maybe even broken it. If that's you, I'd encourage you today, go light a candle or come to someone on our prayer team and have them pray over you. Pray that God would give you the courage to own your part and ask forgiveness so that you can move in a better direction from here. Also, I want to invite you to respond to God today by receiving communion. Jesus told us that for as often as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we're to remember the great sacrifice he made. So come. And give thanks that Jesus would allow his body to be broken and his blood to be shed, that we might be free from sin. Don't need to be a member of Seacoast, just someone who has surrendered their life to God. We're also going to respond to God today through generosity. By giving to what God wants to do in this church and in our communities. It's not about what we want to do or what we want. We're just trying to keep up with him. 
Generosity is our opportunity to trust God with all that he has entrusted to us. And then finally, we're going to worship together. We're going to lift up his name so that everything else can be lowered into its rightful place in our lives. So let's respond together.